Okay, I need to see some hands in the air like you just don't care briefly this morning. How many of you want a sermon with a warning? Jacob, thank you. One more over there. Jonathan, okay, good. How many of you want a sermon with a reminder? A few more. What about a sermon with a promise? Everybody wants a promise. Raise your hand if you want a sermon with something else. Now, this is not choose-your-own-adventure style. Well, actually, today, we're going to get all three. We're going to get a warning, we're going to get a reminder, and we're going to get a promise. We'll spend most of our time looking at the warning. If you have a Bible, uh, please open to Hebrews 10 as we continue our series through this amazing sermonic letter. And so as you're flipping or swiping Hebrews 10, beginning at verse 26, let me just remind you that uh, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, but this was a letter to a group of people. There's these moments, and we see it in our text today as well, where specific things are referenced. So we know it's not just generic, but what's interesting is this letter exists. It's very sermonic. There's all these polemics about who God is, especially Jesus, and how he is greater than anything and everything. And because he is greater, we are called to persevere. That's the message of this letter. Jesus is greater than Moses and angels and the Old Testament system, the Old Covenant. And because he is this great one, like we just sang about, uh, he is worth following and, and we need to persevere uh, to the end. And so uh, that's that's the book of Hebrews in a nutshell. And as I say, today in our text, uh, we get all three things. We get um, in this call to persevere, and that's really what the point is, big point, persevere. Christian, keep walking with Jesus. Keep your eyes on him as we will get to eventually in Hebrews 12. And as, as we're persevering, <clears throat> we need warnings, we need reminders, and we need promises. Uh, in case you're wondering, I don't have COVID, I promise. Uh, I took a test. And uh, no, allergies is like 90% what, what I believe is going on. I was pruning on Friday and kicking up dust and pollens, and I didn't wear a mask, which I know better. Uh, I should have heeded the past, and I didn't. So anyway, forgive the congestion. Follow along, please, as I read Hebrews 10, beginning at verse 26, and I'll read through verse 39. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. 
For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For, and then a quote from the Old Testament, yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith, persevere, and preserve their souls. This is the word of the Lord. As I mentioned, Hebrews is this sermonic letter, and throughout the letter, if you've been with us in our study, there are probably four or five, this is, I believe, is the fourth time where this very deliberate, very specific warning uh, comes among us. We've we've had a warning about uh, not falling away. In fact, this morning, as I was up early on my uh, little routine I do in the morning, I go for about a 12-minute walk, and I listen to my readings for the day. I'm in Hebrews in, in one part, and it was one of those earlier passages, you know, don't fall away. So there was that warning earlier. Well, here we have it summarized right in verse 26, don't go on sinning deliberately. I like how one commentator describes this passage. Here again, we find the tension in this book between the dreadful dangers of rejecting the word of God over against the glorious promises for those who endure to the end under the authority of that word. The dreadful dangers. I mean, we just saying about, you know, God being a God of love, and he is, and he's holy and just, and, and he's a holy God who, who, in his word, and Hebrews is one of those places where these, these moments come, where there's these warnings Dreadful dangers for those who reject the word of God. And again, that's juxtaposed with the promises for those who respond to the authority and and persevere and endure. So again, as I mentioned already, because Jesus is greater than everything, let's persevere together and, and endure in our journey and our walk with him. And let's heed this text today, a warning, a reminder and a promise. So number one, a warning, verses 26 to 31. Let me reread verses 26 and 27. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Warning, right? Like, there it is. There it is. Um, there's a late, as in he's with the Lord Jesus now, the late commentator F.F. F. Bruce. He said this about that phrase, go on sinning deliberately. This passage was destined to have repercussions in Christian history beyond what our author could have foreseen. <laughs> yes. If we go on sinning deliberately, now, it's 
important to, to note a couple things. Deliberately is placed first in the original. For uh, the Greeks uh, in, in this time, Koine Greek, word order meant emphasis. And so deliberately is the first word in, in the original language. And by putting it there, the author is highlighting that word. It speaks of willing participation in an action, right, deliberately, uh, of something done with a clear mind, with a firm step. Um, it's deliberate, and specifically here, what, what deliberately? Sinning, that is deliberate, sinful a sinful lifestyle, and it really has the notion of a high-handed rebellion against the gospel. It's, it's probable, our author, he quotes the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures so often, that, that he probably has in mind uh, Numbers 15, 27 to 31, that, that speak of this high-handed rebellion. See, we've already found in, in Hebrews 5, 2, speaking of the high priests that Jesus is uh, greater than, in chapter 5, verse 2, it said that a high priest can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weaknesses. So there were sins that even the Old Testament law understood as, as, as not a heavy-handed, high-handed, deliberate, willful sin, but, but a sin that happens. And, and, and God's word has, especially in the Old Testament, even with the high priests, a way of dealing with that. But, but in, in Numbers 15, starting at verse 27, uh, there, there's a, a call that for people that deliberately high-handed know what they're doing is sinful and keep on doing it, well, you can imagine probably um, under the Old Testament law, under the Old Covenant, those people were to be killed. Now, true Christians, true believers do sin. If, if, if a person says they don't sin, they're lying, okay? Um, the Bible says so, and their own experience, if you just have a long enough conversation, it, it becomes clear. None of us completely, perfectly love God and love neighbor as summary statements uh, of God's will for us as, as we ought to. We are in process. So true Christians sin. So well, I'm bringing this up because once again, this warning here in Hebrews 10, along with so many, um, it's caused God's people throughout history, to have concerns. Is, is this speaking of a true Christian losing their salvation, of someone who, who has experienced regeneration, that is, when God causes someone to be brought from death to life, that's what regeneration means, born again, death to life, new birth, can that be lost? It sure sounds like that's what's going on here. But what we have is, is this category of apostasy. And so Hebrews has brought this up. Actually, if you were with us last Sunday night for our Sunday night theology, we listened to a whole lecture on the topic of, of, of apostasy. And, and just so that you know, we're, we're clear about what, what that is, for, for someone to be an apostate, um, li- listen, in fact, to 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. This is where we get the word, actually. They went out from us but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So what John is saying there and what, what Hebrews is getting at is that there are people who seem at some point to be believers. 
And Jesus spoke about this. He spoke of the seed being sown, and some seed sprouts up for a time, but, but the cares of the world, uh, kind of like weeds and, 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 and kind of like sun scorching down, give evidence as, as those supposed, you know, uh, pictures of life die, that they didn't really have, have a deep root. They weren't really regenerated by the word. So an apostate is someone who was once in, maybe they professed faith, uh, they were part of a church, they maybe were baptized, maybe they, they've celebrated the Lord's Supper, they did the things God's people do, but then they went out, okay? And, and so again, this doesn't you know, become something to say, well, non-Christians are apostates. No, people who have yet to believe can't be considered apostate. An apostate is someone who was once in, and then they are out. And here we have this, this warning. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, this would be another example of someone who would be considered, according to Hebrews, an apostate, someone who has received the knowledge, they've been around it, they've maybe even identified, but then they go on heavy-handed, high-handed, sinning deliberately, this then becomes a mark of them being an apostate. And, and, and the writer here says, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. That is to say, Hebrews 10, 1 to 18, what we looked at a few weeks ago, makes it clear that Jesus, once for all, by his blood, is the sacrifice. Once for all. And if someone's going to hear the truth and then just deliberately ignore that, heavy-handed, that, that sacrifice doesn't apply to them. That, that's what it means, what he means by it. It, it. There remains no more sacrifice. There's nothing else to be done. It's happened. And if they are rejecting that, they're rejecting that. They're, they're rejecting the grace, the gospel message. Mike Kruger, who, who we listened to last week and who I've quoted quite a bit in the series, he says, where can one go other than to Christ for an efficacious sacrifice? Once he and his provision have been rejected, there's nowhere else to turn. If you know about the grace of God in Christ, yet sin unrepentedly and chronically, you are actively rejecting Christ. So Christian, if you sin, this doesn't need to be a warning for you because if you're a Christian and you sin, then you are repenting and saying, I'm sorry, God. I confess, I admit that attitude, that, that action, that, that word was wrong. And, and the Holy Spirit is convicting you. And by the fact that you are repenting, even if it's every day, right, that, that's an evidence that, that God's work has been in you. But for someone who just deliberately heavy-handed, high-handed, rejects the grace, where else can they go? Verse 27, what remains is a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. I mean, this is, this is that scary language. This is probably, again, our, our author who knows his Old Testament, knows the Hebrew Scriptures well, uh, thinking of examples like Sodom and Gomorrah, where God rained down fire on the sinful cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, or where, where God consumed Nadab and Abihu in, in Leviticus 10 because they made false offerings Right, we 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 don't like those stories. Those are the ones that you know when your kids are little. You, you know, isn't it funny how those stories are never in kids' Bibles? 
It's not funny, it's good, it's appropriate. But, right, those are the things. I can remember as a dad when, like, reading, like, the Word of God, things would come up and they'd be like, we've never heard that before. Well, obviously, age appropriate, you know, that's, that's important. But even as adults, God being some deity who, who judges? But he is in the Old Testament, and, and he's the same God in the New Testament. And in the New Testament, of course, as we read the unfolding of God's plan, he sent Jesus to deal with all of this, to make a way for us to be righteous through Christ. And even as we talked about a couple weeks ago on Easter, and of course in reference to Good Friday on the cross, Jesus had God's wrath of judgment poured out on him. That's one of the things that happened from the cross. We call it propitiation. God, God's wrath was poured out. Jesus absorbed God's wrath so that we wouldn't have to. But if someone rejects it, what remains for them? If they reject it completely, well, a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume. This is a warning for people to hear. God is love, yes, but God is holy and he is just as well as loving. Yes, he sent Jesus to save us, but if we reject Jesus, we're left with judgment. Verses 28 and 29, the author has an illustration that from lesser to greater. He's done this in other places in, uh, in Hebrews, but here it is in Hebrews 10, 28 and 29. Anyone who has set aside or rejected the law of Moses, okay, Back in, under the old covenant, if, if you rejected or set aside the law of Moses, well, you then, in that context, you died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. This is an allusion to Deuteronomy 17. Those who violate God's covenant by turning away from God's commands uh, and therefore turn away from the Lord himself that worship other gods, they're to be put to death. There's, there's no mercy in that case. But then he goes on and he says, verse 29, if that's true, and then they all would have said, oh, yeah, yeah, we understand that. That's how it was. Then notice verse 29, how much worse? See, there's the greater. Like, if that's true, how much worse? Like, if that was bad, and it was, how much worse punishment? Punishment, do you think, will be deserved by the one who has, and now he describes the person who high-handed, heavy-handed, rejects the gospel. They, they trample underfoot. That is, they, they treat with complete uh, disdain. Jesus. It's just a, you know, trampling underfoot in this rebellion. He goes on to say, they profane the blood of the covenant. And then three, there's an outrage against the spirit of grace. Now, I want to just briefly mention something related to that, that second one. This, this punishment, this judgment that's deserved for those who, who trample underfoot the synagogue, who, son of God, who, again, just completely disregard him. That the second item, though, is profaning the blood of the covenant. Again, if you've been with us, you know how precious the blood of Jesus is to our author, and how it's contrasted over and over again to the repeated blood offerings of those animals and how that can't do anything but the once-for-all blood of Jesus is what cleanses us. 
So Hebrews 9, 13, and 14, 23, and 25 just have said that explicitly. So an apostate, again, someone who once was in and then rejects it, who goes out and rejects, that they are declaring that, that Jesus' blood is unfit. That's what he's saying. To profane the blood of the covenant is to say it, it's, it's unfit. Now, again, I want to I highlight why I believe this is not speaking of someone who can lose what God has done. And, and right there, I'm, I'm giving away my, my theological commitment. Our salvation, church, isn't ours to lose. It's God's. It's God's to give. God regenerates. I mean, just think about theologically for a minute, the nature of being born again, being regenerated. If God has to do this miracle, and he does, of bringing dead people to life, do we really want to believe that our sin can undo what God does? Yes, we believe on the Lord Jesus and and receive his grace, but it is a response to this work God does of regenerating. We don't regenerate ourselves. We don't justify ourselves. We don't forgive ourselves. We don't adopt ourselves. See, all these descriptions of what it means to be a Christian are things God does. And as severe as sin is, those things can't undo what God has done. So theologically, just think about that for a second. And then remember the words of Jesus. Remember, I've been saying we need to experience the realities in the scripture. Well, Jesus said in John 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. A genuine Christian who's been born again, regenerated, justified, forgiven, adopted, sanctified, can't undo all that. But an apostate, someone who says they believe and gives some evidence for a season of time, it might be a long time, it might be a short time, but then deliberately sins and rejects it, they, they, have, they have profaned the blood of the covenant, but that's not true of a genuine Christian. He, uh, he also says they outrage the spirit of grace. To reject the gospel is to outrage the spirit, the Holy Spirit of grace. God is a gracious and kind God who does love us and to reject Jesus is to reject the spirit of grace. Finally, verses 30 and 31. For we know him who said, and he quotes here in Deuteronomy 32, vengeance is mine, God says, I will repay, I I will judge. And then verse 36 of Deuteronomy 32, the Lord will judge his people. And then our author gives this summary statement, verse 31, it is a fearful, dreadful, Thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So we have this warning as we are called to persevere. We all need to hear this warning. This is a warning for all of us to go, wow, that's right. God means it when he says, follow Christ and, and stop sinning. And if, and if I'm living this heavy-handed, high-handed, I don't care, I don't care about the blood of Jesus, you know, whatever, this is a warning for me. I remember one time, I've told this story before, driving uh, home, so this, this direction, eastward from the, the coast on River Road. Uh, we had been out 
um, having some fun. I think it was just Kristen and, and one of the kids when they were little. And so there's a section where I think the speed limit was eh, 45 or something. And apparently there were warnings telling me that it dropped to 35. I didn't see those warnings. And all of a sudden, I see some lights up ahead uh, pulling me over. And a very nice CHP was, was there conducting one of these traffic stops because apparently a lot of us failed to heed those warnings that the speed limit did drop. And he asked me this whole thing, do you know what speed you were going? Yeah, 45. Do you know what the speed limit is here? 45? No, uh, in fact, it's 35. You, you missed two warnings telling you that. Yeah, I had no idea. Of course, after this incident, and he was kind of give me a warning, I saw him every other time we drive now. I see those, those warning signs. It's good to heed warnings. I hope we will all heed this warning. And if you, in your heart, and only God knows, right, who are his and who are apostates, like this isn't duck, duck, goose, you, you know, are you heeding this? Do you hear this warning? It is a dreadful thing, a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Finally, two final points our author makes, again, in this call to persevere. The, this big one is the warning, and that's why I've spent so much time, but, but he, gives, he gives two other things, too, because we, we need warnings in our journey uh, of perseverance, but we, we need reminders, secondly. So verses 32 and 34, uh, let me read these verses. Recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, that, that word enlightened speaks of them, you know, coming to the light, coming to the knowledge of the truth. Recall those days when you were first enlightened, like when you were a new Christian. And then look what he says, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. So again, this is where our author has specific people in mind, and he's wanting them to remember what they endured when they were new Christians. A very specific thing, but notice how it's all public. It's all about identifying with Christ and how in identifying with Christ, they had to deal with persecution. Well, let me just right away turn this to you. He, he's telling them to remember, to be reminded of, of that, that new life in Christ. And most of us, if we came to Christ, you know, as a, a little bit older in life and then, or maybe as an adult, we, we might remember that too. Those early days when as a young Christian, Nothing could stop your, your prayer life, maybe, or your sharing the gospel, or letting people know. Um, but then we, we, go, we grow old. And, and our author, to them, and I think God to us, wants us to remember. Remember those days. Remember what God had done. I, I know, and, and some of you know my story. God saved me in, in junior high, and I remember, and I, I describe it from the words of a, a song in the 80s, a Christian song, I knew the road that I would take, but then God saved me just in time and put me on a new road, and, and, and it's good for me to recall, to remember. But then number three, not only is there a, a call to remember in our journey of persevering, but, but then there's a promise. So the end of verse 34, since you knew you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one, therefore do not throw away your confidence, 
which has a great reward. There's the promise, this, this reward. What is it? Well, you have need of endurance, of perseverance, so that when you have done the will of God, by the way, a lot of people want to know the will of God. Sometimes use a computer Bible or an old-fashioned concordance and search will of God. Uh, that phrase together isn't found as many times in the Bible as some of us think, but when it is, it's important, and here it is. And he says, when you have done the will of God, and it's in this context in reference to persevering. See, I, I meant to say this earlier. A true Christian can't lose their salvation because it's not theirs to lose, it's God's. In other words, a true Christian will always be saved, or sometimes we call it once saved, always saved. But the way the reformers put it, which I think is better, is that we endure, we persevere, the perseverance of the saints. We prove over the course of our life that what God did was real, and that's the biblical language, endurance, perseverance. Yes, if you're a Christian, you you will stay saved, but you will persevere, you will endure, and that's doing the will of God. And notice then the reward. You may receive what is promised. And then he quotes, for he says, quoting Isaiah and Habakkuk, yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. What do we get by enduring? What is the promise? Well, we get none other than the Lord Jesus. Yet a little while and the coming one will come. As we persevere, if, if, if we end up dying before he does, we get to be in his presence. If we end up living and he returns, we get him. The goal of the Christian life isn't just heaven and you know a cloud of our own you know, or something, the goal of the Christian life is Jesus, and he's, he's coming back. That's the promise to those who persevere. He is coming back. Hopefully, you received a communion element. If you didn't, I'm going to ask uh, Jim and Beth, or one of them, to uh, take that basket and make sure, and you can just raise your hand up uh, if, if you didn't get one. Uh, but this is so fitting today. I love when God does this. We couldn't have planned this. But typically on the first Sunday, as is the case today, we, we take these elements and we remember the Lord's Supper. And in this context, I want us to remember these words from Jesus in Matthew 26, when he gave this meal to his followers, when he fleshed out uh, what had been part of Passover for God's people, but now through him was this new meal called the Lord's Supper. He said this, he took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to his followers, his disciples. And he said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And then here's the line. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit until of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So as we endure and as we heed warnings like this one and, 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 and examine ourselves, as the Apostle Paul said, am, am I in the faith? If I'm sinning, am I repenting? Or am I, do I give any hint of being an apostate, heavy-handed? I don't care. 
as, as we endure by the reminders of what God has done in us when he saved us, and as we endure and persevere, we, we remember the promise. Jesus is coming back. We're going to talk about that briefly in our meeting, in our business meeting in a few minutes, what it means that he's coming back. But, but this meal not only remembers what he did, but, but it remembers this promise. Christian, your Lord is coming back. He's coming back. And that's a wonderful thing. He promised that he would. So if you would take the, the bread part of your little, I was in a pastor's meeting this last week and we were joking about these as COVID cups. Maybe next month we'll get back to pre-COVID ways of, of celebrating. Nonetheless, take your COVID cup and the bread side and go ahead and peel that open. And let's, let's remember and eat this together. This represents his body. the cup side, and let's drink and remember that this represents his blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins, the precious blood, the once-for-all shedding of blood, not to be trampled underfoot, not to be despised, but to be remembered and, and thanked, thanking Jesus for. Let's drink together. And if you would stand, the worship team is going to come back, and we're going to end with one final song this morning. Father, would you help us submit to your word? And in light of today's text, to help us in our endurance and our perseverance and our walk, heed a warning. Help us heed the reminders, help us heed the promise, especially and specifically the promise that you are coming back, Jesus. I also pray that you'd help us know that our growth is, is seasonal, as, as I read this week. What a great reminder. Just like so many trees and plants and things, they, they don't just grow nonstop, they're, they're seasons. And we all experience seasons of growth too. Times when it seems like maybe, God, you're not doing anything in us. Maybe have we stopped growing? Remind us that, that there's, there's a season for everything, including times of, of great growth and then maybe some slower growth. But you have sanctified. You are sanctifying. You are at work in us. And the work you began in us, you will complete. And I pray those realities would be experienced. We love you. We need you. Thank you for your word, in Jesus' name.